Welcome, bienvenidos. Thanks for joining us on the Talking 21 podcast, the official podcast dedicated to the extraordinary life and legacy of the great one, number 21, Roberto Clemente Walker. Before we begin our final episode for season one, I want to once again thank our faithful listeners who have supported my newest venture into the world of podcasting. Along with the Talking 21 crew, this truly has been a phenomenal experience to interview those who were directly impacted by Clemente's heartfelt words and humanitarianism. Clemente's spirit continues to reverberate throughout the world as we once again pause to remember and celebrate his extraordinary life. Where were you when Roberto Clemente perished? on December 31st, 1972. I was seven years old, and I asked this question to our listeners because surely a number of you weren't even born yet when this tragic accident occurred off the coast of Puerto Rico. But like me, if you have been a devoted fan and a follower of Clemente's legacy, as a player and advocate for the less fortunate, that date will never be the same. Yet the late Puerto Rican sports writer, Elia Castro, once said, that night on which Roberto Clemente left us physically, his immortality began. It's almost New Year's Eve, and our next guest was a close friend of the great one. Not only was he with Clemente throughout the mid-60s, but certainly throughout those final seasons in the 1970s. Roberto Clemente Day at Three River Stadium, the 1971 World Series, watching from the press box the 3,000 fit, and sadly on the island of Puerto Rico when he heard the news of his friend's tragic passing on a humanitarian mission to Nicaragua. A native of Ponce, Puerto Rico, Luis Rodriguez Mayoral, who just celebrated his 50th anniversary in baseball, witnessed Clemente's heroics up close and prior to Clemente's passing, even sat down to discuss his next project, Sport City, a multi-sports complex for children in Puerto Rico. Mayoral's five-decade career evolved from being a former scout, Puerto Rican Winter League GM, broadcaster, Latino liaison, public relations with the Texas Rangers, Detroit Tigers, but today, He's an accomplished writer of numerous articles and author of five books. He helped break down barriers within the world of organized baseball, and his crowning achievement occurred 50 years ago as the founder, coordinator of the Latin American Baseball Players Day throughout Major League Baseball. And he has received numerous awards, including entrance into the Puerto Rican sports Hall of Fame in 2013. Luis is a proud man who I've known for 12 years and fondly will always call his dear friends Papi as a sign of endearment and brotherhood. But along with his loving wife, he reflects daily on the everyday occurrences throughout the world and lives by this simple credo. I am a son of God and a citizen of the world. Luis, for our Talking 21 listeners, first and foremost, thank you so very much for joining us. And please know how deeply, deeply I appreciate this friendship 
and this mutual respect for one another. And it's just been uh, an amazing journey, the two of us, these last 12 years. So for our listeners, Luis, can you uh, share with um, those that are going to be listening to our podcast a little bit about yourself, your childhood, um, and your eventual involvement in Major League Baseball? Of course, Danny. Uh, I was born in Ponce, Puerto Rico, 75 years ago. My father was a career military officer. So I grew up between Ponce, Puerto Rico, Panama, and Seattle, Washington. Now, since I was a child, for some unexplainable reason, there was always a love for the game inside of me. Uh, first game I ever went to was in Ponce two days before my dad had to leave the island to go to the Korean conflict. And uh, we went up an incline from there as a five, six year old, I saw players out on the field and I felt that my soul, my spirit, like, like got away from my physical being and the joy that I felt to this day, I can't believe how happy I was that moment. One thing led to another. I had a relative, Radames Mayoral, uh, who's a publicist, but he was also the voice of the Ponce Leones baseball club in our winter league. So, you know, my life within the game, you can say, travels through a boulevard that God laid out there for me. One thing led to another. And uh, as we continue in our chat, I'll give you more specifics. But I was born to do what I am doing. Well, you know, Luis, um, just last week, you celebrated your 75th birthday. So on behalf of all of us, a uh, happy birthday. And this year also marks a very important milestone in your life. It's your 50th year uh, in baseball. And um, with the blessings of the commissioner at that time in 1970, the late, great Bowie Kuhn, he's also inducted in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, there was something that you were very responsible for and instrumental of putting together in July of 1970 in Atlanta, Georgia. And for our listeners, please share with us what occurred 50 years ago. As I was growing up, I was like a little rat in a library. I was always in libraries looking for books, mostly baseball biographies. So it was all within me. And uh, since I was living in Panama in the mid fifties, I started getting the feel that guys like Vic uh, Power, Minnie Minoso, uh, you name it, uh, Aparicio from Venezuela, they were recognized as good ball players, but they really didn't get the credit I believe that they deserved. And I was a very young kid. That went on and on, one thing led to another. Uh, in my route through life, I had the blessing that God opened doors for me. And those idols when I was young, including Orlando Cepeda, Roberto Clemente, Ruben Gomez, and so forth, I got to meet them. And by age 12 or 13, I had a feeling that someday I had to contribute to the recognition of their uh, accomplishments rich in, in, in history. Uh, within Major League Baseball, they were not being paid decently either in comparison to play, players in the States. So it was all within the plan that God gave for me to live. And uh, in 1970, I uh, got with Commissioner Bowie Kuhn, thanks to Bobby Maduro, who was one of his executives at the commissioner's office. 
and they accepted, Bowie particularly accepted the idea of a Latin American Baseball Players Day. Brief pregame ceremony, different stadiums every year, recognizing the contributions, rich in accomplishments of the Latino players to Major League Baseball. One thing led to another, little by little it picked up among the executives in the game. And for 25 years, I celebrated that with the approval of the Office of the Commissioner uh, as a nonprofit event. Today, it's still being held. It's not a Latin American baseball players name necessarily, but it is an activity which honors the contributions of Latinos to the best baseball in the world, Major League Baseball. And you know, the amazing thing as well, Luis, it's my honor that I actually have one of those awards in my collection when you presented it to Roberto in 1972. So having you uh, on our program today, on our, our podcast, I got chills almost to say that here it is, that award that's directly behind me was once held by the great one and your dear friend, Roberto Clemente. You know, all these years, all these years, Luis, um, and our friendship of 12 years, I've been blessed to have uh, written for a number of publications, websites, um, you name it, I've had an opportunity to contribute uh, a piece or two. Specifically, I still to this day have contributed and still to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. But um, one of the things, Luis, that's always impressed me about you is your oratorical skills. They're absolutely top notch. When did you realize, Luis, you had this gift of public speaking and to do play-by-play? Because -play? I believe certainly people forget you actually did over, Luis, correct me if I'm wrong, over 2,000 Major League Baseball broadcasts. And that's something that needs to be recognized and celebrated. So please, Luis, for our listeners, tell us, how did you uh, get this gift of gab, so to speak? Well, it all comes with the package. You know what I mean? Uh, the Lord wanted me to serve him by way of the game of baseball. So my verb comes as an inspiration, a gift of him to me to be able to have done what, what I have done. Uh, as I said, library rat. I loved reading the libraries I went to regularly. It's not like today, you know? You had to go to a library, check out a book. And uh, it was uh, education that I uh, imposed uh, on me. Uh, and then the verb, like I said, comes from God. The love of the game from God. So one thing led to another. And, you know, it's gotten me here already during 50 years, Danny. Uh, at times I say, wow, what is this? Uh, everything was easy for me. Like the doors opening miraculously. First, Bowie Kuhn. Then, uh, Peter Uberoff, commissioner. Then, Bargia Maddy and Faye Vincent. Those were the key individuals that, for whatever reason, like me, they saw that I was sincere about what I wanted to do as to the recognition of the Latino players. And at the same time, having played uh, juvenile baseball, uh, 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 university baseball, et cetera, et cetera, uh, everything fell into place. Uh, it was so easy for me. And then God gave me a personality I guess people like because I'm very sincere and uh, I do express my feelings with due respect always. I'm not afraid to speak. And then Doing the play-by-play, -play, since I was a kid, I do it at home. You know what I mean? 
one thing led to another until I, I reached uh, some lofty pinnacles in that profession. I did uh, nine full years of a Texas Rangers baseball. I did baseball from New York, Yankees particularly, in the 70s going into the 80s. So it's been a good life. I, I, I love the mic. Uh, it, it, it gives me life. It gives me energy. So, you know, I'm just a package that got sent to the world to, to be within the game of baseball among my responsibilities as a citizen, you know. And is it an amazing, Luis, when you think about it, where you just said, I love the mic. And Luis, I'm seeing that you're loving this new way of social media and communicating in a video conference uh, manner. And you're loving it as well, because I'm seeing the way uh, you're coming off. And, um, you know, people are really going to enjoy this podcast because we got some amazing stories to share. Um, But let me tell you quickly, I never think that I am better than anyone. My professor down that line was Roberto Colomete. He told me a few times, I'm not better than that guy. He's not better than me. And I learned that young in the early 20s, you see? So that's how I focus life. I give respect to everyone. It, uh, I, I don't believe I'm superior to anyone. I'm just a down-to-earth guy who loves the game. And by an act of God, uh, everything I've accomplished, I always have God in mind. And uh, I'm thankful that I'm, I'm serving him this way. You know, Luis, this month, December, for you and for countless individuals, those that are still alive know it's a tough month when we remember your dear friend who passed away tragically on New Year's Eve. You know, um, I think about that sometimes, Luis, that here it is. I've been a fan um, as a, a term that you labeled uh, a group of us Clementistas. And uh, certainly, um, I think about that, that here it is that so many people turn to you. You're going to be featured on a program um, tomorrow, I believe, in uh, the Pittsburgh area on um, kind of like the remaining, uh, I guess, months leading up to his uh, tragic his tragic passing. But Luis, can it be a bit um, emotional and daunting when every year the media... Uh, various individuals, maybe someone's putting together a documentary that they're coming to speak to Luis to hear once again about your dear friend, Roberto Clemente? You know, it still hurts. At times, I think that he he's still with us. Uh, like history plays with my mind. And uh, I felt a few times that I have had him before me, you know. Uh, our relationship started when I was very young, maybe 18, 19. And he impacted me in a way where our common denominator as to a friendship brotherhood was not baseball. It was him explaining to me what he felt towards the needy in the world, the people who suffer, the hungry, the poor people, no doctor, not this, not, this, not that. And uh, I knew right there and then that he was a cat of a different breed. Uh, of the many ball players, thousands in my career that I have dealt with, uh, majority, majority of them are still my friends. I would say that no one walked on a baseball field at the major league level who was really that close to the philosophies of Christianity that God gave the world. So that's why I respected him. I have never pretended to canonize Roberto Clemente because he was as human as you and me and Raizel, for example, you know? Never, never did I do that. But he was a special kind of human being. He was genuine. 
He was serious about anything he did in life. He always liked to dress uh, uh, with perfection. You know what I mean? Because he felt the pride that he had to be an example for other persons, particularly Latinos in the US of A, trying to make that transition. You know, he felt pride, but he wasn't pride to demean anyone. He just felt pride who he was, and he wanted to be an example as to uh, mankind. You know, it's interesting that you said too, Luis, about you have never canonized uh, Roberto. And it's interesting that one of our first guests, actually our, the first guest, uh, the son of Phil Dorsey, who we obviously have both known for a number of years, his dad actually said after Clemente's passing in one of the uh, local papers in Pittsburgh, he said something, and I'm paraphrasing, he wasn't a saint, but he was the closest thing to one. So I just thought that's rather interesting that here it is that you said something similar to what Phil Dorsey said, who actually met Roberto way before Luis uh, Mayoral. That, um, that's true. They met in 55 by Bob Friend, who was a pitcher for the Pirates, who was also a member of the National Guard, where Phil Dorsey was also a member. And Bob Friend understood that Roberto, having come to the States the previous year or to America, North America and Montreal, Roberto was going to have a difficult time making that transition. So Bob Friend told Asfield Dorsey, help him. And they were best of friends his 18 years at the major league level. I remember, I remember Luis, you actually, and I have it. I kind of like to call it the Luis Mayorad Files. And it was a card that Phil Dorsey sent to you. You might recall that you sent that to me. And it said something to the effect of, Roberto was right about you. Remember, Luis, when you sent me that card that he actually inscribed inside the card? Yeah, yeah. You know, after that tragic, Phil, Phil, I've heard so many good things about him from players that interacted with him after Roberto's passing. So here it is, um, after that tragic accident, Luis, uh, a mutual colleague of ours, Cal Wagenheim, was the first person to come out with a book dedicated exclusively to Clemente's life and eventual as we start to now use the word often legacy. And I haven't spoken to Cal in quite some time, but the book was released within six months after Clemente's death. And here it is, uh, 10 years ago, I invited him to a Clemente event in the Bronx. And I remember after leaving and I'm taking him to a Penn Station, he lived in Jersey, still believe he lives in Jersey, maybe also travels to Puerto Rico as well. He said to me, Danny, I can't believe that Clemente is still, his name is still remembered. He's this big. And I said, Cal, if I had to recommend something to you, I believe you should re-release your book. And he just was amazed that I even brought that up. And he said, well, Danny, I would like you to contribute to the new prologue. And I said, well, I have to do it with Luis Mayoral, which we both did. We collaborated on the re-release of the book. So Luis, you have a chapter in that book and it's chapter 11. Can you, for our listeners, talk about the questions that um, Cal Wagenheim asked of you so many years ago, back in 1973, when this book was released, chapter 11? Yeah, first of all, let me tell you, I knew of Cal Wagenheim because in Puerto Rico, he uh, wrote for the San Juan Star, the only English-speaking daily then no longer exists. So I knew who he was very well respected and intellectual down to earth human being whose wife uh, precisely is from Puerto Rico. So 
at the time of Roberto's death, I had been scouting the winter league for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, when Roberto died, there was a flight that came in from Pittsburgh with maybe 40, 50 members of the, Clement, of the Pittsburgh family to pay respects to, to the Clemente family. And Joe Brown, the general manager, may he rest in peace, told me, Luis, you were with us. I want you to be our official representative on the island. Besides doing the scouting in winter baseball, you're going to be our guy, anything related to the Pirates, but particularly to, you know, the death of Roberto Clemente and whatever was going to come up uh, based on that tragedy. Uh, so I knew, I knew Cal. And uh, Clemente's number was retired April 6, 1973 at Three Rivers Stadium. I believe it was a Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. And I had been in picture a couple of days. And on the 5th, I got a call at my room at the Hilton. And it was Cal. I said, Cal Wagonhand, the guy who wrote in port for the paper in Puerto Rico? Yes. He told me he was doing a bio. So we met in the lobby of the Hilton, maybe two or three hours. And that's how I was able to go into my experiences, my relationship with Roberto. And I still have a few copies of that book. And that opened the doors for, for so many other biographies that have been written about, about Roberto Clemente. Roberto Clemente was a special kind of person, no doubt, no doubt. And you know what I love about that chapter, Luis, is you talk about Roberto's hands. Could you at least, once again, for the listeners, make that analogy, that uh, almost like that metaphorical um, sentence, so to speak, phrase on how you talk about the essence of Clemente's hands. You, you have a great memory, Danny. I say basically this, Roberto's hands were large and beautiful. While on the playing field, throwing, hitting, he could grab the ball and the bat with the strength of a tiger. This is all literal, you know? But at the same time, those were the hands that I saw many times very gently caress or tap the head of a baby. Those hands to me represented basically what Roberto Clemente was all about. Seriousness, when he had to be serious. Tender, when he had to be tender. And a dedicated human being who really, really cared for, for mankind. He was a special person. He was a special person. Thanks for bringing that to my memory again. You know, Luis, um... Something you did so many years later, in 1987, you wrote your own book and you decided to write it in Spanish dedicated to the great one. Interesting enough, Luis, I don't know if you realize this, there's 121 pages in your book where all proceeds went to Sports City, which was the dream that Clemente had for the children of Puerto Rico. And I have a copy. And you actually signed that copy for me a, a few years ago. It's super rare to collectors. But there's a chapter, one of my favorite chapters. There's two chapters that I love. And it's in Spanish. And certainly, I got to take my time when it comes to reading uh, uh, the language of my parents, but certainly of my own heritage. But uh, the translation of that chapter is, batting for the pirates wearing number 21, Roberto Clemente. I enjoyed reading about the late Hall of Fame pitcher who, interesting enough, played uh, for the New York Mets, the late Tom Siebel, who passed away, sadly, like so many Hall of Famers that we lost this year. And there were quotes that you were able to um, attribute to Tom Seaver on his thoughts on Clemente and seeing some rare picks, Luis. Like, I'm like, where did Luis get these picks of some hitting and throwing drills? So, Luis, 
talk about that project uh, that you decided to put this book together, uh, dedicated to Mrs. Clemente as well, to proceeds will go to Sports City. Talk about that project. I've never been afraid of death, you know, but that was 87, that was 15 years after his death. One day I said, I'm gonna do something on Roberto, should the Lord call, call me, I wanna leave behind my experiences with him what I got to know about the man. And that's how it came to be. It was short as two pages, but as I said, my style, my type of writing is more essays than going into researching history for years and years. I just don't have that knack in me. But that book sold like overnight. For Puerto Rico, it was like 18,000 copies. They, they were sold in, in a month or two months. Wow. Uh, what inspired me was that I felt an obligation then, if I had lived so many beautiful moments with Roberto, that I had to share with other human beings and future generations. And like you will say, you have a copy of that book, very few exist, but it was, it was an honor to, to do that. And more when I gave it legally, the rights to, to Vera Clemente, the sports city, whatever purpose she wanted it for. That was my gift to her because she was also very, very nice and a very dear friend. And you know, talking about, uh, as I always referred to her, Luis, uh, you will never hear me ever say about the late, uh, great Doña Vera Clemente. I've always referred to her as Doña Vera. Uh, you have another chapter in there, one of the chapters that I enjoyed reading as well, The King and His Princess. And for our listeners, you just mentioned Doña Vera, share with us about this beloved wife, this mother, this grandmother, and actually, and most importantly, your dear friend, Doña Vera Clemente. Yes, Roberto and Vera met in the, I guess, early 60s in their hometown, Carolina, Puerto Rico. Roberto went to a drugstore, and there he saw this beautiful lady. And he knew right there and then that that was the one. So before taking any action, he went around town, found out about her, the family, et cetera, et cetera. But funny is the fact that uh, he told me and his mom, Doña Luisa, may she rest in peace, that shortly after meeting her, a few hours later, Roberto went to see his mom and he told her, Ma, vi a la mujer con la que me voy a casar. I just saw the lady who I am going to marry. One thing led to another, you know? They were married November 14th, 1964 at the church in the town square in Carolina. And, you know, they were the perfect couple. They were the perfect couple. I never saw them arguing. It was always tenderness, niceness. And, you know, that was a, a couple made in heaven. And I like to say this, Danny, always, and I'm not exaggerating. Roberto Anvera, with his fame, money, everything, Roberto and Vera never let society contaminate them. That was a beautiful marriage made by God. So that's how I always remember him and her. And she with me was like, like a big sister. Very nice, gentle. I helped her in so many ways. And I thank God I had the opportunity once Roberto passed, you know, she became part of my family and, and part of my, 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 my relatives. She was a classy lady. May she rest in peace. Yes. And, and Luis, I wanted to also add to that. Here it is. And I wish I was with you. Uh, 
You were with her September of 2019, working on a documentary that I'm sure it's in the works. And you were there in Pittsburgh with her. So you were with her two months before she passed away. Do you remember that last conversation, thinking about it right at this very moment, what she said to you, what you, what you and Doña Vera communicated with that day? I know Al Oliver was there, Manny Sanguian. Uh, it was at the museum in Pittsburgh. But do you remember that last conversation? Of course, of course, Annie. First of all, I hadn't seen her in a few years. Uh, there was like a patio outside of the Roberto Clemente Museum, uh, operated by uh, Mr. Reader. And I saw her get out of a car, but then she needed assistance walking. And that hit me. I said, this is not right. So I went to her. She saw me. Her eyes opened up. Luisito, you know, gave her a hug. Which is, which is what Roberto called you. He called you Luisito. Yeah, diminutive of Luis. So we sat down, but my heart hurt more when I spoke to her, God bless her, and she wasn't there, Danny. You follow? She wasn't there. And, uh, you know, we talked basic things. How are you? You know, something I didn't want to go too deep into conversation because I knew that for whatever reason, that was not the Vera I knew. There was a decline, Luis. There was a decline in her health. Yes, there was a decline. We can put it in nice words like that. There was a decline. And, uh, you know, when I left, I, I gave her a kiss on the forehead. Manny Sanguillan was there with me, Al Oliver. I didn't know it would be the last time I, I would see her. But to this day, I, I suffer a lot emotionally. Like one of the things in life, like you said before, so many things I lived with Roberto and her, but particularly many times, maybe 10 times throughout the years, she always brought something up. She would tell me that at nights around three or four in the morning, oh my gosh, she would wake up thinking that Roberto was alive. And in her mind, she would hear a knock on the door. She went to the door, she opened the door, and there was Roberto in her mentally hair. I am home at last. Those were her words to me so many times. More private way, you know, but she had the confidence to share that with me. And I remember that to this day, and it brings tears to my eyes. That was a type of love that, that existed between Roberto and Vera Cristina Zavala. Clemente. It was something beautiful, man. You know, listening to your words, Luis, I'm going to also refer back to your book on page six. When I saw this image for the very first time, and I don't think a number of those that collect Clemente memorabilia and publications and little knickknacks, I don't think too many people have seen. Uh, there's an interesting animation inside of your book. There was I did a head count, Luis. There's about 34 kids of different nationalities wearing sporting gear, and there's even a handicapped child pulling a block. There's someone work, uh, kind of working some sort of like an erector set, a forklift. Luis, could you tell me, uh, was this your idea of putting this animation in there? Because interesting enough, once all these building blocks were stacked up, it would create a profile of Roberto Clemente in a Pittsburgh pirate uniform. So here it is, all these kids, 
are carrying these building blocks. Someone is with a forklift, putting them perfectly, stacking them up. Luis, whose idea was this to put this image inside your book? Let me tell you how this came to be, Danny. Uh, Ramayo Brothers Printing, I believe it still exists in Puerto Rico. Uh, the owner, Angel Ramayo. When I took the idea of my book, everyone in that print shop went crazy. A book on Clemente. I showed them, like you well mentioned, the pictures I had, et cetera, et cetera. And there was so much interest that I told Angel Ramayo, let your personnel know, whoever is a specialist in this, that they can collaborate with their art. That's how it came to be. The arts department of Ramayo Printing came up with that. And what basically that symbolizes is the youth of Puerto Rico constructing an image of Roberto Clemente, thanking him for his legacy as a human being. Obviously, Clemente was the ball player, the star player for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that's how uh, that illustration came to be. I shared the creativity, not me, you know my soul, Danny. I shared it with the people who worked in the print shop and that was the product of that illustration on page uh, six, I believe, yes. That's the nice thing about what you did there, Luis, that here it is, you uh, allowed the uh, publisher to uh, include some artwork, which actually, Luis, it's, it's quite nice. I could just imagine if there was a print created for others to see it. You know, Luis, I'm gonna try to say right now off the top of my head, Maybe it was about, um, I don't know, Luis, eight, nine years ago, I received a special gift from you in the mail. Like always, Luis, you surprised me with a book to read, but this particular one, I'm going to use a Luis Mayoral term. You, sh you shook me. So this was a copy of Clemente's own handwritten notes. And um, I have those notes. I treasure them. It certainly is only a copy. You have the original notes. But uh, Luis in our Luis Clemente, that is, in our previous podcast mentioned when I gave him a copy in 2013 at City Field during the All-Star game, he became quite emotional, Luis. I will tell you that. Um, I did tell him it was from you. And um, i like, Luis, for you to share with our listeners what these notes in his own hand and his own handwriting, what it consisted of. During the late 60s, Roberto spoke to me many times about his dream to construct, to create a sports city. He didn't want it named after him. He just wanted a sports city in Puerto Rico where all discipline in the world of sports were practiced, where there was education, arts, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the thing is that, you know, he felt that the governors of the island had been taking him on a long ride, commencing in the 60s, mid-60s or whatever, we're gonna help you construct it. No one helped him. They just wanted photo ops, you know, have lunch with him and so forth, but no one said, let's go. So around 1969, 70, we started kind of like toying with what he wanted for the sports city, the purposes, what he wanted constructed, uh, the educational program, et cetera, et cetera. And between late November of 1971 until the time he left for spring training in February, 1972, 
every Friday from like eight to midnight, I'd go up to his home in urbanization San Agustin in Rio Piedras. And we just talked and chatted about how he envisioned the Clemente Sport City. And those are two of several pages I have where in his own handwriting, he put down what he wanted for the sports city. I never threw him away. I never imagined that one day he'd be gone so so young, you know. So I'm very meticulous as to uh, my collections and I'm not a collector, but that is something that I saved without knowing that he would leave us that same year in 1972. Those are the, 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 the handwritten notes. I gave you a copy, I, I respect you. And uh, that's just how it is, you know, things like that happen. And, I'm glad I saved them. Luis Clemente achieved numerous milestones in his 38 years with us. You were present for a number of those extraordinary moments, specifically the 3,000 fit in Pittsburgh. Uh, take us back to that memorable game against uh, the Mets. Uh, it's actually, as you know, Luis is uh, my hometown uh, New York Met team, my favorite team. It's ironic to think that he would take a picture with the great Willie Mays who was with the Mets at that time in 1972 and uh, 1973. And as you know, Luis, Clemente and Mays played uh, together in Puerto Rico and were teammates on the Santurce Crabbers team in the 1950s. So Luis, if you can, for our listeners, talk about uh, the pregame, the postgame, leading up to that uh, momentous occasion, the 3,000 fit. Of course, of course, of course. That was Saturday, September 30th. I got to the ballpark, Three Rivers, about the same time he arrived. So we talked a while prior to, you know, getting ready for the game and so forth. He told me, if I get it, I'm out immediately the next inning. And he said, Luisito, come on down so we can talk for a while. Remember, our common denominator as to friendship brotherhood was not the game. It was the world, politics, whatever. It was not the game of baseball. So he gets the hit. It was 3.07 p.m. in the afternoon, kind of like a drizzly Saturday. Uh, only 13,117 fans were present. Is that and crazy when you think about that, Luis, that so many few fans were there? Incredible. 13,117. Uh, so as soon as he gets the hit, uh, a double, one bounce to left center of our dear friend, John Matlack. Uh, I went down, I excused myself from the broadcast. I went down and uh, Huli Hallinan was a clubhouse manager. And he and I kidded a lot and he knew that I always called Roberto, kidding, you know, like Roberto, that was my way of calling him. So when Huli heard my voice, he opened the door. So I went in there and he was in his shorts, uh, no shirt. I gave him an embrace immediately. And then I gave him a kiss on the right side of his neck. And he looked at me funny. I said, hey, 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 hey. I spoke to your mom from the booth prior to the game. She asked me, Luisito, if he gets a hit, you give him a kiss for me. And I kissed Roberto. When I told him that, he cracked up, man, you know. So I stayed there well over an hour and the first member of the media, maybe like the 18th that was allowed was Dick Young. 
from the Daily News in New York, my dear friend too. So we chatted with him for about another 40 minutes or so. And then a hemorrhage of, of media people came in. But I'll never, I'll never forget that day. That's something, uh, one of those moments that still is safely guarded in my memory. That was a, a great moment. Uh, you'll never forget, man. Never forget. And, and for then, our and our, and our listeners, and Luis, I hope you're going to bring this up. Let's talk about that sign. Yeah. Let's not forget that sign. Oh, yeah. There has been a picture going around. Roberto on a white cardboard 3,000, you know, 3,000 hits. And uh, I told you and I told a few people who wrote that for him was yours truly during the time we spent there after the 3,000 hit in the clubhouse. So, you know, it was something made to be, man. It was God's plan for me to be there. And uh, it was really outstanding. It's one of those moments that's imprinted in my mind forever. I'll never forget it. How proud he was, how proud he was, you know. You know, uh, talking about uh, proud and for the uh, community, especially that have been aficionados of the Negro Leagues, uh, last week there was a major announcement that came directly from the commissioner's office Finally, finally recognizing the Negro Leagues and the inclusion of those stats. And you know, Luis, and surely our Talking 21 listeners know that a number of Baseball Hall of Famers, whether it's Josh Gibson, Satchel Page, Monty Irving, Cool Papa Bell. I mean, can we go on with all of those, um, those names with names that had even nicknames attached to them as well? that they're all played in the Negro Leagues. Willie Mays played in the Negro Leagues, Hank Aaron. But certainly that they will finally, those stats will be recognized as major league stats. So Luis, there's two individuals that I know, and I hope that you're on the same page with me with this, that were Negro League players that were instrumental in the career of Roberto Clemente Walker, and I believe really contributed to his greatness. And for our listeners, Luis, can you share who those two players were? Of course. Roberto was a kid. There was winter baseball. He played for San Juan. Uh, then was Monty Irving. Roberto as a kid would wait for Monty Irving at the entrance to uh, Sixto Escobar Stadium. And Monty kind of like liked him, you know. And every time they were out there, mostly weekends, Monty would let Roberto carry his luggage into the into the ballpark. So that was impacting. Monty never forgot that they got uh, enshrined in the Hall of Fame in 1973 on the same day. So that's he, that's just Luis when I even think when I think about that Luis the same day Monty Irvin same his day. boyhood idol is inducted in this in same 1973. Day. Wow. And the other one Danny was Franco Imbre. Coimbra was a superb ball player, great ball player. Uh, he never made Major League Baseball due to the color barrier, but he was also a scout for the Pirates in Puerto Rico. Roberto got him that job uh, in the early 50s after he retired. They were like father and son. So that was a beautiful uh, relationship. Roberto even invited Frank Coimbra to the Pittsburgh Pirates spring training in the late 60s, and that was a highlight. Of, of Coimbra's life. But now that you bring this, I have to bring up the name of a gentleman, you know, I know, 
uh, Jorge Colón Delgado. Jorge Colón Delgado is the official historian of the Puerto Rican Winter League. To me, Danny, on the island, there has never been a historian so knowledgeable about the game of baseball in Puerto Rico, and he has transcended into the US of A2. So uh, I bring this up because that's a very important decision by MLB, recognizing those players who were lost in history. And to that effect, uh, I spoke to Jorge a few minutes ago. Jorge is uh, setting up a site on the internet with the history the importance of Negro players in Winter League Baseball, in Puerto Rico particularly, and at the same time within that site are the Puerto Ricans who played in the Negro League. So that's a, a primicia I'm giving you as to what Jorge is doing, and that's a gentleman I have to applaud, and I'll say it till I die, in Puerto Rico there has never been a historian of his nature. And I believe Danny too that in Latin America that I know no one can top Jorge Colón Delgado in his specialty. So I applaud him. I know you joined me too in doing so. And uh, that's how it is, Danny. However, then at the same time, you know me as bald as I am sincere. I'm bald too. I'm bald too, Luis. Yeah, no, you're sincere too. <laughs> but really, I cannot comprehend this. While I applaud what MLB has done with the Negro League ball players classifying them as major ball players. I cannot understand why in the year 2021 around the corner, last year only 7.8% of ball players in the best baseball in the world were African-Americans. I can never understand that. In a way, Jan Danny, excuse my being so frank, so sincere, recently eight or nine presidential jobs Jobs as general managers in Major League Baseball have been uh, filled, not one African-American. There's this lady for the Marlins, I believe, Ms. Yang. Yes. Was born in the States. You ready for this, Luis? Grew up in my neighborhood, Fresh Meadows, Queens. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. I know so what those you're talking are the about, yeah. I don't swallow, Danny. Danny, my life in the game, had it not been that I was enlightened by God, and that he put key people in my life, very difficult, Danny, for a Puerto Rican or some, somewhere else to come and become the first Latin American liaison in the history of the game. It wasn't easy for me, Danny. Not the owners, not the general managers, but people at the administrative level would there ask him, what are you doing here? You follow? And those things, I know how to battle them intellectually, but it was not easy for me. Had I been a weakling, I would have gone home and never come back. But I'm a US citizen at birth. But then above that, I am a son of God and a citizen of the world. Born in Puerto Rico, proud of that. But I'm also, I would also be proud had I been born in Russia, China, Nigeria, or in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean in a cruiser. Above anything, son of God, citizen of the world. That's who I am. Well, I will tell you this, Luisa, uh, and listening and hearing the passion in your voice right at this moment, certainly I think a young Luis Mayoral simply had to turn to his left or his right and see the example of Roberto Clemente Walker, who always stood up and really truly uh, spoke his mind when he saw some sort of injustice 
some inequality as a ball player, whether you know, Luis, how many times he was quoted phonetically in the press. And this was something, using your terms, your words, Luis, he didn't take that, he didn't eat that. And he was very, very, very vocal. And I hear it in your voice too, Luis. And certainly that's for another show to talk about areas that need improvement in Major League Baseball. But, but your understanding, your understanding that I have been in the game, in love with it since I was a child, that is the master plan of our creator. That's what I'm telling you, Danny. I always tell people, I'm not the big one. I am an instrument that he utilizes by way of baseball to educate, to do my thing within the game, to give opinions, to go into history. I am his creation. I'm not perfect. I made mistakes, but not mistakes to feel ashamed of, you know? But I've always had the fortitude to do that, like Clemente did in April of 1968 when Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. Clemente, the season was supposed to begin on the 8th or 9th of April. Clemente told Joe Brown, the general manager for the Pirates, I'm not playing. We're not playing. We have to pay respect for Martin Luther King. And then Don Clendenin, uh, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Orlando Cepeda, they jumped literally on the bandwagon and they held the services for Martin Luther King without game of baseball at the major league level in respect to his legacy pro mankind. That was Roberto. That was Roberto. Those were his teachings to me, Danny. And I'm so proud of that. But as I said again, I'm not the big one. I'm an instrument. And I know there's two things, Luis, that I wanted our listeners to hear because you shared this with me. Um, number one, one of probably the many awards that Lu, the great Roberto Clemente Walker received, he actually also um, uh, was in the, uh, what do you call that, uh, the word I'm looking for, specifically a medallion, I believe, Luis, correct me if I'm wrong, that he received he received the medallion and it was a image of Martin Luther King on this medallion that he was proud to own. And secondly, Luis, a lot of people don't know this as well, talking about Dr. King, is that Roberto and Dr. King met, I believe it was February of 1962 on, his, on a farm that Clemente also had a restaurant and the two of them met in Puerto Rico. So that's something that interesting, Luis came out in the uh, re-release of Wagenheim's book that you actually brought up um, in that prologue, you brought that up as well about the relationship with King and Roberto Clemente. See, that medallion, it's interesting. Vera told me that was his most prized uh, award. It came to be in 1970, they held uh, an exhibition game. I believe it was preseason. The Joe DiMaggio, Stan Musials of the world were there, Roberto and other superstars from MLB. And they held it in benefit of the Martin Luther King Foundation. And in appreciation for their participation in that game, participation in that game in Dodger Stadium, each player received a beautiful medallion of Martin Luther King, which Vera, later when I was working with the Pirates, allowed me to uh, uh, use it at the Pirate, at the 
Texas Rangers Museum in Arlington, Texas. That was his most prized uh, uh, possession. Before we continue, you and I spoke too about Tom Seaver, didn't we, a little while ago? I have a brief comment on that. And it is that Tom Seaver stated that Roberto was perhaps the best hitter of his generation, you know, as to hitting. And uh, he also stated that Roberto could hit any pitch, any pitch. When Seaver had him with two strikes, Seaver told me he would always throw him a hard fastball towards the outside corner or a slider. At times, Roberto would hit it opposite field. At times, Seaver struck him out. And he said that what he admired about Roberto, the times that Seaver struck him out on outside pitches, Roberto right there and then knew it was a strike. He didn't do anything. He just hit in the mouth face, head down a little bit, and walked back to the dugout. That was Roberto Clemente. The other thing about Roberto and hitting, and remember, we didn't talk much, but I remember clearly he said this a few times. He was a type of hitter that when he swung, his butt stayed back. Okay. And then the upper part of the body, like kind of like was on top of the pitch for whatever reason, because I never been a hitter less at a major league level. He said that that was his success, how he accommodated himself before every pitch. He says, Dejo el fondillo atrás. I leave my butt behind, but the upper part of my body is right on top of the ball. That was definitely, definitely an unorthodox swing. That's to put it, you know. <laughs> Exactamente. So, you know, he, he and I spoke baseball, but not much. Another thing he taught me, he says, yo tengo buen brazo. I got a great arm, but I take advantage more by doing this. You know, when the fielder catches the ball, most of the time, Right here, brings it down, pop. If he had a pop-up, a fly ball, he had runners on base, he would get it here, he would eliminate this step, he would get it here, and from here, throw. So that added more to the efficiency of his throws. He was an artist, he was Picasso on a baseball field, and, and he loved the game, he loved the game. You know, Luis, you and I love to joke. I mean, in our 12 years, countless jokes over the phone in person, and I know a few Clemente stories, but there's one story that I believe would be number one. And this particular photograph, once again, thanks to you, I own a copy of this photograph, and it was a presentation after the 3,000 fit, October 1st, 1972 at Three River Stadium. And for our listeners, Luis, Please, I need to laugh right now, Luis, because we, we got a little deep, but I'd like you to uh, share that particular moment with your dear friend after the 3,000 fit. How are we time-wise? Are we okay? Luis, we're good, man. We're good because guess what? I want to laugh, Luis. I want to laugh. Yeah, before we go into that, many times he, goes, he had a, a smile. You could not tell if he was kidding or speaking the truth. He told me once that when he was like six or seven years old, he'd take a nail, let's say maybe five inches long, a kid, and he would bend it. He was strong. I left it there. I said, Contra, what is this? You know, but I left it there. 
Another time in spring training, 71, 72, I'm in his uh, Pirate City room. I stayed with him there that weekend. And uh, after practice one Saturday, he said, I'm going to make you a punch. The punch that gives me strength, it gives me strength. So I said, fine, man, no problem. So he had a beater and he pumped in there maybe eight, 10, 12 eggs. And then he took two Welch great juices about this size, dumped it in there, and he beat that thing for five minutes, whatever. That's here it is, we see, though, this is what keeps me strong. Do you like it? I didn't like it at all, but then in my heart, <laughs> I saw him with so much dedication, you know, preparing a punch for me, uh, a dozen eggs and a couple of uh, great juices by Wells. That was him. And I told him, caramba, this is great, man. Oh, that smile came out. <laughs> oh, right Luis, there. you lied to Roberto. Luis, <laughs> come on. <laughs> that a brotherly love, man. And then the photo um, was a pregame ceremony that uh, Bob Prince and I participated in. I had brought with me from Puerto Rico a special award on behalf of the people of the island that included a clot of earth, maybe about the size of a, of a paper, Mac in the middle and a swinging flag, you know? So as I presented to him, I said, Roberto, this is symbolically Puerto Rico before you. And he was touched, you know? And basically he, had, he said two things. Wow, you know, I played on this grass. Now I'm playing on artificial turf. That's something that has escaped me occasionally, but he said that. But then he cracked a joke about a cow being on that grass. I leave it there. And Vera in that picture is smiling like you never saw her smiling. I am like, wow. And then there is Dora Matos de Pasarel. She was representing the governor of Puerto Rico, Governor Ferrer, in that ceremony. And she looked at me, she went, wow, you know. But that was Roberto. Roberto was a human being. And then when we met, you invited me to go to Stockton University in New Jersey a few years back. Uh, at the dinner table, that came up and she laughed. And she told me something that touched my heart. Says, Luisito, that was Roberto. The people he loved, that's how he would kid with them. But at that moment, you know, he came up with that. That well, goes let, let, Luis, let's be honest. Okay, uh -huh. here it is. That's a clot of earth. We all know what cows will do yes, when they feel comfortable right. on a clot of dirt. Yes, so we're right. gonna a dirt. We're gonna leave it at that for our listeners, right. Luis. Right, and right, right. I, I got I got the photograph, and Doña right. Vera's laughing. Roberto's kind of got like a serious face. The thing is that those are the moments you don't forget. And again, Roberto was as human as you. Raciel Guevara and I are, you follow? That was a very uh, happy human being. He had premonitions about his death. He did. Uh, that spring training, my second visit to Pirate City in 1972, he started telling me I have to get 3,000 hit this year. I said, fine, man, you're almost there. But I didn't ask, why are you emphasizing that you have to get it this year? Then I'm coming in to Puerto Rico playing over in, in Atlanta. So one, I believe it was a Friday evening, I go from the hotel to, to uh, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium prior to the game. His ankles were swollen. 
he was like without energy, you know? And the first thing he told me, I have to get that hit this year. Again, I didn't ask him, you know me, I'm not the type of guy who asks, you know? I just let it be. I said, hey, you'll be okay, that'll go away. But that proved to me that he had some type of premonition. And Vera always told me that many times he told her, I am going to die young. And he told Vera also that for me to make the Hall of Fame, I will have to be dead. He had yeah. the he did. You know, talking sadly about that date, Luis, there is a photograph that someone took. It's actually in your book, uh, the book that you released in 1987. You even had a title for that black and white photograph. And along with Clemente's teammates, Rennie Stennett, Manny Sanguian, uh, the media personality, Ramiro Martinez, may he rest in peace. But you also were in that picture and you were smoking a cigarette. Uh, could you tell our and share with our listeners that particular photograph of the four of you sitting in a room looking quite somber? Sure. First of all, the last time I saw Roberto and Jorge Colón Delgado was the guy who pinpointed the last time I saw him. It was December 27th, 1972. Uh, at the ballpark, Hiram Beethorn, he was gathering goods to be uh, uh, sent to Nicaragua to the victims of the earthquake, okay? We chatted for a few minutes and he tells me, call me on the 31st so you can come home and uh, we'll have dinner and celebrate the uh, coming of the year 73. Great, no hay problema. Uh, I called on the 31st around midday, maybe one, I called two or three times. He didn't answer, so I decided to go visit my parents' home in the outskirts of San Juan. While there, I was informed, they heard it on the radio that Clemente's plane went down. But I didn't believe it because he had told me he was going there a day, a day and a half at the most, and he'd be back for the 31st. But I didn't know that he was still in Nicaragua because news really didn't travel that well, you know, going back 50 years. So, you know, when that happened, I went home, I got up at seven. I went to drug fair, a drugstore two blocks from home in El Condado, where I first befriended Frank Robinson when he managed in Puerto Rico. And uh, the gentleman there, his name is Gilberto Rosa. He's a professional who is now retired in Florida. He was a kid uh, at the cash register. He told me, hey, Roberto's claim went down. That shook me, man. I said, no, 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 no. So he told me a few months ago that he remembers me, he remembers me like being paralyzed. And then I said, I have to go get Manny and Rennie. Manny Sanguin and Rennie Stennett were playing winter ball and they lived in a condominium, maybe two blocks from there. And a pitcher by the name of Johnson, maybe Richie Sisk, a few of the Pirates prospects, you know, were playing ball there. And then uh, we took off to, to Roberto's place. So, you know, that was something, Danny, that today, that's another one of those moments that is in my mind forever. That was very, very, very sad, Danny, very sad. But, you know, such is life, such is life. I do want to also, Danny, take the liberty of, because a lot of people ask, and I have a brief list here. Of the people, I mean, Roberto knew everyone. Everyone knew him on the island and elsewhere. But I remember a few people that were very special to him. You know his brother, Matino. You know him well. In Carolina, he's in his 90s. Frank Coimbre, 
the Pirate Scout and former great player who played in the Negro Leagues, Howie Hake, the Super Scout for the Pirates, who was the guy who negotiated contracts with Roberto. It wasn't Joe Brown. Howie Hake and Roberto were like father and son. That was a relationship that many considered uh, unusual, but that's how it was. Then Manny, he loved, he loved Al Oliver. Al Oliver in the green tree area, I believe in the outskirts of Pittsburgh, Al Oliver was his uh, neighborhood, his neighbor in the facility where, where they lived. Um, Monty Irving, Jose Santiago, great pitcher for Boston, was one of Roberto's best friends as was one minor leaguer who Roberto really loved, 5'8", good hitter, no future, unfortunately, Canenita Allen. He's a, a teddy bear on the island. Everyone loves him. So those were a few of the people that I got to know, and I am a witness that Roberto really loved them. He loved everyone, but those people were special. Those people were special. You know, Luis, something very special, talking about something special. Uh, this year, September 9th, 2020, which... Interesting enough, I was in Pittsburgh. I was inside PNC Park. Uh, not only that, it was my mother's uh, birthday, celebrating her 88th birthday, but um, I wanted to be there for this moment. And it was the very first time ever since Clemente's passing. And you were there in the ballpark when Clemente's number was retired, April of 73. But here it is now in 2020, the entire Pittsburgh Pirate team wore the number 21 for the very first time. And I was there to witness it. It was historic. It was moving to see this video that Luis uh, Clemente put together, uh, part of the pregame ceremony dedicated to his late mother who passed away November of 2019. But Luis, there's so much talk, especially after this year with what occurred in Pittsburgh on the retirement of that iconic number. So Luis, if you had an opportunity to walk into the commissioner's office in New York City, and you were part of a contingent of fans, family members, those that want to see Clemente's number retired. Besides Luis, the obvious, what you, would you tell the commissioner, Bob Manfred, on the reason behind that number should be alongside number 42? I, I believe it should be, even though they were two different human beings. Jackie Robinson, historically, he's a giant. He was a man chosen by God to break the color barrier in 1947. Roberto was way better ball player than Jackie Robinson. Don't misunderstand me, but Roberto should be honored in my book based on the fact that he experimented the supreme sacrifice looking to help others in need. They're both great symbols. I am not an activist. That decision is not mine. But if I had the power, I would seriously, seriously consider retiring number 21. And I applaud the history of Jackie Robinson. As to Commissioner Rob Manfred, I don't know him personally. I know about him. Uh, Bowie Kuhn, Peter Ura, Bargy Amati, and Faye Vincent. Lime had it that were my friends. They understood my being sincere of what I had to offer MLB 
they opened up many doors for yours truly. But I believe that MLB, for obvious reasons, has great relationships with uh, the Far East, Taiwan, South Korea, Japan. Uh, that area of the world has uh, financial power to benefit Major League Baseball, uh, merchandise, memorabilia, the rights to do this and that as to games. But MLB has really kind of like ignored Latin America for so long. If I didn't mention Japan, it was a mistake. Japan is there too. They generate a lot of money to MLB. The thing that hurts me historically is that millions and millions and millions of fans in Latin America love the game of baseball, Major League Baseball, to the extent that approximately 27%, 28% every year, most of them outstanding players are Latinos in Major League Baseball. But what Latin Americans feel is that they're ignoring that MLB is only interested in Latin America because they can get cheap labor, cheap labor, cheap players, okay? As to paying them. And uh, regardless of the fact that the history of Latinos in Major League Baseball is rich in accomplishments, they feel insulted. And I'll give you the classic example. May she rest in peace. When Vera Clemente died November 16, 2019, you were there. And a lot of people to this day, not only in Puerto Rico, in Latin America, feel insulted. Mr. Manfred, God bless you. I don't say you're a bad man, but you struck out, man. You should have been present in the funeral services of Vera Clemente, a lady who gave her soul the moment Roberto died and she did everything. And I traveled with her many times, all-star games, uh, uh, World Series. She was like a big sister to me. I don't criticize you as a human being. I don't know you. I say, God bless you. But let me tell you something. Bowie Kuhn, Peter Uberoff, Bart Yamati, and Faye Vincent, I knew well they would have been to Puerto, in Puerto Rico for Vera's funeral services. I leave that with you. I love the game. With all due respect, those are words that God has given me. And the other failure of Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball has never established a uniform program. They have never built a cultural bridge to help Latino players transition into the US of A. Major League Baseball or the minor leagues that want to develop the players, the 30 teams want them at the major league level overnight to be stars. They classify them as many citizens as being arrogant and stupid because they don't speak English well. That is an injustice before the eyes of God. I love the game. I have always loved the game. I will die loving the game. But that's the Luis Mayoral for the first time ever in my 50 years in baseball that I had come out this loud and clear. And as such, Commissioner Rob Manfred, God bless you. You have a mission that you have not accomplished. It's based on goodwill, goodwill, and the unity of nations. That's me, Danny. I'm sorry. There is no need to be sorry, Luis Rodriguez Mayorat, because I'm going to tell you right now, we definitely, for season two, will be opening up this platform to bigger conversations along the lines of what Roberto Clemente stood for, 
because certainly you had the best teacher, not only in the great Roberto Clemente, but those that you also mentioned, Luis, that have been a part of your 50 years in baseball. And Luis, on behalf of the Talking 21 crew, I can't thank you enough for being on our program to be a part of episode 10, the last episode of season one, the season finale. And Luis Rodriguez Mayral, you know I love you. I love you. One more comment. I can't forget. I am so appreciative of the Hall of Fame. September 9th, 2020, they invited me to their virtual, headed by a great human being, Bruce Markison. As the first ever Latin American liaison, among other things in the game, employed by Major League Baseball Club. And that goes to prove that baseball is a bridge among countries, cultures, and obviously millions of fans. The honor is mine, Danny. I am always at your service, sir. And uh, hey, you made my day. Thanks so much, Luis. I know how difficult this month can be for you and appreciate the time you've given to our devoted listeners to share your remarkable stories and fond memories about your dear friend, Roberto Clemente Walker. But before we wrap it up, I want to remind all our listeners that we will start recording new episodes sometime during the third week of January, and we will kick off season two during the first week of February. As we approach the 2021 baseball season, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the Pittsburgh Pirates winning the World Series. And of course, we will celebrate the golden anniversary of Clemente's World Series MVP award. I highly recommend our listeners to catch that 1971 series against the Baltimore Orioles just to see Clemente and how he literally carried that entire team on his shoulders. On to our next episode in 2021. Happy holidays, happy new year, and many thanks for listening. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Talkin21Podcast for all our latest information about episode drops. If you are enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And a huge special thank you to our executive producer, Ras Guevara, and our co-producer, Senor Bezo. Tune in next time for our continued conversation about the great one. And as always, this is your host, Danny Torres. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at DannyT21.